You're listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Now, here is your host from denverstiffs.com, Adam Mades. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Mades, from denverstiffs.com, the largest Denver Nuggets blog and community on the web. Check us out. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. You can check out our Stiffs NBA show on YouTube, which we just posted a couple days ago. Me and Brendan Vote rocking that one, um, bringing some cool nugget stuff. <clears throat> this episode of the show, I'm going to go to the mailbag. If you have not, if you didn't know, if you've been hiding under a rock, Locked On Nuggets has a cool new mailbag feature where you can call in, send me a question, you'll appear on the show. I think I got five, no, six lined up, six questions. Should carry the entirety of the show. 303-578-9393. 303-578-9393. If you want to advertise with the if you want to advertise on the show, hit me up at denverstiffs at gmail.com. This is an excellent show um, to advertise on. I think a lot of people don't realize the opportunities you have on this show to to gain exposure. This could be your your ad right here. Loyal, very, very, very loyal listenership, loyal fan base of the show. Um, great way to tie tie into something that people like in a very targeted, specific demographic. On that front, this is not a sponsor, but heck, I'm going to give them a shout out anyway because at the I forgot to mention this the other day. At the uh, Stiff's Night Out Denver Nuggets watch party, um, somebody, a fan brought me some cupcakes. It was awesome. <laughs> so, uh, somebody from Goldmine Cupcakes up in Golden uh, made me six cupcakes. They were delicious. I've already eaten five of them. Actually, that's not true. I split one. My wife had one. My daughters split one. So I've only had, let's see, three. I've only had three cupcakes in two days. I still have one left. Uh, but those, those are awesome. Big shout out to Brian uh fan for those and then to the the awesome people over at gold goldmine cupcakes really appreciated um with that not a whole lot of nuggets news today nuggets got back into town they do have a three-game homestand here and coming up against you know i thought this was going to be a cupcake opener getting phoenix but phoenix actually looks kind of good uh all of my serbian followers have told me about kakashkov as a coach I mean, they told me last year, and first of all, it's not like I could do anything about this, guys. I, I have no pull over in the Nuggets organization or anything like that, plus the Nuggets have their guy. But um, I've heard you know, for at least a year that Kokoshkov was the next up-and-comer. He got hired in Phoenix, and Phoenix dropped, I think, 34 assists in their opener despite not having a point guard. Let's just say I know we can't draw too many crazy conclusions after one, but I'm intrigued. I'm very intrigued by uh, by Phoenix, the Phoenix Suns and what they can do here. I think just getting guys bought into moving the ball quickly is is such a big thing. So I'm curious to see what uh, Phoenix brings. It's still just on sheer talent. Denver should beat this team. Um, I think it's a good home opener to have. It's also Saturday, which is great. But um, I'm, I'm curious to see. I think that game will be a little bit more more difficult than people realize. Last little note here. Um, I wrote a, an article today. One of my goals this year is going to be to write uh, a deep dive article of sorts. Really like a short deep dive. I guess we can call it a shallow dive. That doesn't make sense. A short d- deep dive on uh, the game. So just some, something I see in the games that stands out to me or some kind of trend and to do a little X's nose video breakdown, statistical breakdown. I did that today on denverstiffs.com. Check out, it had to do with Nikola Jokic's defense in the pick and roll, which I found to be very interesting in game one. Now, 
you know, the Clippers don't have great pick and roll players. Tobias Harris ran a lot. Lou Williams ran a lot. Patrick Beverly. Those aren't guys, Avery Bradley. Those aren't guys that are going to kill you on the pick and roll. But um, nonetheless, I thought there were some very promising things from Jokic. And I tried to use video to, to explain why, what it was I was seeing. And, 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 uh, and then I had a couple other notes in there that I think you like. So check it out on denverstiffs.com. If you like the show, you'll absolutely love those deep dives. All right, let's get right into the mailbag. Let's get our first caller. Hello, this is Corey from Florida. Just had a question about Monte Morris. With Monte Morris running the second unit, could you speak to how he works so well in the pick and roll, uh, his knowledge of the pick and roll, the little intricacies that he seems to know about it and how he uses that in-game? I know it takes a lot of time to break that whole situation down, but I feel like it's underrated what he will be able to do as our backup point guard going into this season. I wanted to, I guess, get your opinion on how you think that will work out until Isaiah Thomas gets back. Thank you. Thanks for the question, Corey. I think that's a, an interesting one. And it does require, I think, a little bit more time to really talk about all the things that he does do well. But your original question was, you know, why is he so good? And and this is funny. I was talking to a friend a couple weeks back that he implored me to, to share this story. But I think a lot of times what a player is good at it really comes out of comes from necessity and i think with uh a player like monte he's such a crafty high iq player um and a great passer just knows how to run pick and roll and i think a lot of that comes from the fact that he's not a great scorer and he doesn't have great athletic uh, ability or measurables or things like that i mean he's quick and stuff like that but he's just too little so for him to make it into the league at this to this level with the body that he has and not being able to be an elite scorer like an Isaiah Thomas type or, you know, Nate Robinson or something like that. You know, you have to, something has to be well ahead of the curve. And I think for him, it's just his mind and his feel for how to work the angles. I think he's probably spent his entire life as a pass first point guard of sorts, you know, quickness, but also read the angles. And when you're forced into something, forced to refine something, I think that's where you really, really get good. Uh, when I, as a player growing up, you know, I was always tall. Uh, I'm six foot five, somewhere between six foot five and six foot six. I was always tall. And so just by sheer, you know, height, and I was coordinated, like, you know, at the like rec YMCA level and stuff like that, I was good. But what made, what, what made me into like a, a college level basketball player was I was tall and I got to be on all of the competitive teams. But on those teams, I was not good. You know, on the rec level, I was good. On the on the competitive ones, I was not good. But I was I was tall, so they would tell me rebound. You know, don't shoot, just rebound, pass to the guy, set screens, and that was sort of my job. I was just, uh, you know, head to Stephen Adams almost, just go and do this stuff and and don't do anything else. Well, my game was so predicated on that for years. That's all that I did, and I would go through all the drills with everybody else and do all that stuff. But for years, all the all the the smaller players were better. Well. That developed, I think, I, in my opinion, that developed out of necessity an ability to pass and just sort of a, a, a higher like understanding for for where to get the ball and how and how to move the ball around the court because I was so I was it was so ingrained in me to not like shoot the ball, not to go up because I was tall and clumsy. Well, over time, you know, that skill just refined itself and refined itself, and now I'm a pass. I mean, I'm that that's more or less what I was known as a, as a player as a passer. So. I think for Monte Morris, it's much the same way. He was never a scorer. He was never big enough to dominate at the you know 
just with his size and shoot over guys and back guys down and things like that. So what has he been refining his whole life is the angles and the pick and roll. And um, he's a heck of a pick and roll player, a heck of a uh, just has has knows every little trick in the bag. I think back to that first play of when he was in the game against the Lakers in that first one where he goes up, fakes the shot. Actually, it might have been the second game. Fakes the shot, draws the defender, and drops it off for a wide-open uh, Nikola Jokic layup. It should have been a dunk, but layup. And it's just little stuff like that. I think he has seen every single situation in the pick-and-roll 100 times, and that's what makes him so good and, and understand all of the different angles in it. All right, let's get back to the mailbag and get the next question. Hi, Adam. This is Kern Bays, a Colorado transplant out here in Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky now. Given the current opinion or climate uh, regarding the evaluation of Nikola Jokic's value, I would say that it's far more likely that he makes an all-NBA squad this year than an all-NBA team. I feel like the writers, the insiders are all aware of this guy's talent. Meanwhile, the public at large is non, they're not believing. So that's my assertion. I'd love to hear your thoughts on whether Jokic has a better chance to make an all NBA team versus an all star team this year. Thanks, Adam. Love your podcast. Love you on Fridays as well. Locked on NBA. Everybody check that out with Anthony. Uh, keep the good work coming. This is our year, baby. Let's go Nuggets. Thanks again. Thanks for the question, Kern. I had to actually edit your question down a little bit because there was, it, it, it ran a little bit long. Don't forget to leave the questions around a minute. I think that's your best bet of getting in here. But um, I like this one, and I appreciated the shout-out for the Friday show. I don't know how many people listened to that, but Anthony uh, Irwin and myself, we host Locked On NBA on Fridays. So that's another episode if you're – um, if you got time for another podcast and you want to hear about the rest of the league, check that one out. Give it a try. We try to have fun with it on our Friday show, um, kind of like a weekend, a two-man weekend summit. But to get to your question, I think you're absolutely right. Jokic, I don't think, will make an all-star game this year. It's possible. It's possible he will. He's gaining in popularity, guys. I mean, the Lakers are going to dominate You know, all, all vote getting and all that kind of stuff, but you know, Jokic is he it's not like nobody knows of him. People know of who he is at least a little bit. Um but I do agree with you that I don't think he'll make an all-star team. I do think he has a great shot at all NBA because he is extremely well respected by front office personnel and coaches and even other players. And um you know, I think that's obviously more important than fans. Fans are idiots by and large. Um overrate their own players, you know, all that kind of stuff and then just like whoever that has the most commercials and things like that. But I do think that you know, Jokic is gaining popularity, but but he's respected by his by his peers. And um, you know, who who would he have to beat out? There's only a handful of guys he'd have to beat out, but um, you know, some high profile guys. But I think he can be right there. To, in my opinion, especially you know, depends on how how quickly this offense takes off. But if his defense improves a little bit, just marginally throughout the year, and then his statistics go up, and he continues to average. You know, yesterday he only had five assists. What I say that he had five assists, which is a lot for a center, and it felt like it was a bad assist night. So if he can get up into averaging again seven assists a game, maybe even you know have a handful of triple doubles, I think there's no doubt about it that he can make an All NBA team. In fact, I would I would wager he's much more likely than he is to make an All Star game. Hi, Adam. It's Evan from Castle Rock, a.k.a. Ranchman. Been some discussion lately regarding rotations, and many people, including some of the uh, 
commentators have uh, Tory Craig penciled in at the number three backup position. I've always been uh, hesitant to uh, fully embrace that. I understand last year when they had virtually no options, uh, the coach had to uh, kind of find his way there. But at this point in time, uh, I'm not sure I see Tory Craig as a true number three any more than I see uh, Will Barton as a true number three. It works in positionless basketball. In my mind, I think you're better off having Malik Beasley coming in in that role. He's uh, certainly far superior offensively, and I don't think he'd give up much in defense other than Tory Craig is the better rebounder. But uh, I think uh, Tory Craig, I think the chatter on him is uh, overhyped, and he's an offensive liability. I'm just not feeling it for that. Like your comments, I'm out. Great question, Evan, a.k.a. Ranchman. I appreciate it. Um, first first part, is it commentators or commenters? I never. I think, it's, I think you're right, commentators. But when I heard it, I was like, man, is that right? Uh, somebody help me out with that on Twitter. I think it's commentators. But uh, but I'm not positive. Um, it's a great question because, you know, I've said so as much as on this show. I like Tory Craig. He's one of the nicest guys on the team. He plays incredibly hard. I think he's, I think he is consistent. I think you know what you get from him. His shot is not necessarily consistent, but you know what he does, just how he carries himself on the court and the type of plays he make. I think are, are, is consistent, and that's a big thing that he has going for him. Another thing that he has going for him. We talked about this with Malik Beasley, but just. The whole, do you try to do too much on the offensive end? And I think with Torrey Craig, he doesn't really do that. And it's actually an impressive feature of him or trait because in the NBL, he was a superstar. He was a 30-point-per-game scorer, and you would never know it by the way he plays. A lot of times, you bring in these high-profile scores from Europe or, or from foreign leagues, and they come into the NBA and they think, well, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to gun. This is why Jimmer Fredette is not in the NBA, by the way. Jimmer Fredette can only play like Steph Curry. Um, and in the NBA, he's not good enough to be that guy, but he doesn't know how to just become J.J. Redick. It's just like for some reason he can't figure that out. Well, um, so, I, so I'm impressed with Torrey Gregg in that regard, but I'm with you. I actually don't think that he is better than either Juancho Hernan Gomez or Malik Beasley. I think both of those guys are probably – well, uh, you know, be- whether or not they're better, I think they're more intriguing. They certainly can help in, in uh, um, you know, long term. So you would want to get the minutes because by by April, I think both of those guys could be better than Tory Craig. Um, so it's worth it. But there's also another layer to this that I find interesting. This is going to sound really counterintuitive, but on an individual level, I think offense is more important than defense. Collectively, that's not necessarily true. Um, but I don't know that a player like Torrey Craig, as good as he is defensively, and I, and maybe he's even a little over overrated defensively, but as good as he is, I, you know, he's not good enough to make Denver good defensively. It's not like, oh man, we have a bad defensive lineup in there, but we throw Torrey Craig in there, so we'll be fine. That Paul Millsap is that way. Like Paul Millsap can elevate a defense quite a bit, but Torrey Craig's not that guy. He's just he's a good defender and he's a good hustler. Um, so I I would say. That Tory Craig being better defensively does not balance out to both of those other two guys being better offensively. I think the offense's value is more important. Um, that all this being said, one of the things I find interesting is you know Tory Craig didn't play and in that last game and Juancho Hernan Gomez and Malik Beasley did. One explanation for that. Now I don't know why Malone did that. We didn't have practice today. I w- did not travel with the team obviously as I was at the watch party, so I don't know. 
But one of the questions I, w- I would like to pry around with, with, with Malone is, I think Wancho and Malik are two guys whose confidence are probably at stake. They're third-year players. You don't you, you if you listen to the Will Barton uh, documentary pod that I did the other day. One of the interesting things he talked about Will Will's, Will Barton is irrationally confident, right? That's one of the, the the charms of him as a player. In fact, they talk about that in the in the podcast. But even he, in his second year and in his third year in Portland, was losing confidence because he wasn't getting in the game. So knowing that. You know, I think Malone looks at it and says, okay, Torrey Craig, I don't need to worry about his confidence. He knows who he is. He's happy to be here, all et cetera, et cetera. Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez, if they get a DNP in game one, what does that do for their confidence? So I wonder if he looks at it and says, you know, no matter who's better, who's worse, it's more important for me to get those guys' minutes and to pr- and to show them as a sign to say, hey, I believe in you. It's game one. You're getting play. You're not going to play every night, but tonight, and the important opener, we're going to play you. I think that's – I think – Part of the motivation had to be sort of a boost of confidence to those guys. Um, but that being said, the, another explanation could be that Malone is in agreement with you and with me that, you know, as nice as Tory Craig is, he you don't ever want to overstate the value of the hustle guy. And there's a place for him on this team. There's going to be games where he is crucial to the team winning, but I don't know that he is crucial every single night. Hey, Adam, my name is Sean. Uh, Long-time listener, grew up in Denver. I ended up in L.A. somehow for work. Um, I have kind of a weird question for you, but in light of the recent uh, news of Jimmy Butler kind of lighting up the whole Timberwolves practice, you know, going against the third stringers, um, who do you think on the current Nuggets roster would be the most likely to do something outlandish like that? Um, I'm torn between Will Barton and Jamal Murray personally, but I'm kind of curious to hear your opinion as someone who spends time around the team every day. Thanks. Keep up the good work and always be listening. Thanks for the question, Sean. Los Angeles sucks, man. So I was just there. I lived there for several years um, and, and enjoyed it. I actually didn't mind L.A., but it's funny, man, going back this last time. And I've been back a few times, but this was this was the most stark like this was the most like I felt this way when I was there for the Nuggets playing the Lakers, man. It's like when you go to Vegas at night and the lights are all bright and it's like, oh, this is cool. And then you wake up in the morning and it's just like trashy and hot and the buildings are all tacky and everything. That's how I felt with, about L.A. this last time I was at L.A. It was just like, oh, my God, this city. <laughs> it's just kind of filthy and crowded and just so much like the advertisements are so old, over the top there. And so uh, I just wanted to throw that in because I also kind of enjoy ripping on L.A. It's kind of become my my corner. Um, but I love your question because, <laughs> first of all, I don't think there's a player on the, on the Nuggets roster that is like Jimmy Butler that that would that would go in and just burn the place down. And for the name for the sake of calling guys out and competitive spirit and Mamba mentality and all that BS. I, I don't think there's a player there, but there are some candidates and not very many. Okay. So we can eliminate like half of these guys. You can just eliminate right away. Like, okay, Wancho's never going to be that guy. And Jokic is never going to be that guy. You know, the, Thomas Welsh, never going to be that guy. But the, the candidates you said, Will Barton, you know, Will Barton, he's he's I think everybody loves him and he loves everybody so there's no way he would ever go in there it's just against his character now would he go at guys's throats would he call them out would he challenge them absolutely but he I think he just has this way about him man uh of uh, you know it always comes from a place of love and you always know that about him so I don't think it would be him Jamal Murray I think definitely has some of this in him um would he burn the whole team down you know obviously he's not good enough but w- could he be that guy that 
a contract dispute or some kind of locker room tussle and he wants to go in there and prove that he's the biggest and the baddest. Absolutely. I could see him doing that. Um, I don't think it's likely maybe like a 1% chance. I don't, I think he's a good dude too. I think he understands team first, all that stuff. But just in terms of like, if you ask Jamal Murray where he ranks amongst point guards, he's one of those guys that's going to rank himself extremely high. His goal is to be the greatest basketball player of all time. So that tells you a little bit about his mentality. Um, he's not here for, you know, like realistic, um, safe goals. He's, he's shooting for the moon. So he's certainly one of the guys that would be in that discussion. But the number one answer, actually, there's two, two answers here. Isaiah Thomas, I think, um, you know, he is that guy. He's already said he's the best point guard in the NBA. Uh, he's got a chip on his shoulder. He he is, you know, he, he is in the position he is in today because of his irrational confidence and because of his, like, willingness to take on every challenge, including challenging other people. So I think he would be most likely. But again, th when you say who's most likely, a guy can be highly unlikely to do something like this and still be the most likely. So, um, so he gets second bid. Number one. Michael Porter Jr. And I think this is one of the things. Now, look, this is unfair. I'm going off of reputation here. I've only met the guy, you know, a handful of times, like interacted with him. So I don't actually know. But one of the rap, uh, raps on him is that he was, and again, take this with a grain of salt. I'm not reporting this as something I believe. I'm saying things that I have heard. One of like just the, the, you know, what people are, what people have said about them, whether they're reputable sources or not. Um, his reputation is sort of the guy that one had a tendency when he was younger to be more of a me first guy, you know, more concerned with how he looks than how the team looks. But then two, he's also an incredibly driven guy, loves to play one-on-one -on -one and um, thinks very, very highly of himself. Everybody laughed at the draft when he compared himself to Giannis and KD and then said it's an honor to be compared to those guys. But he sort of has that, you know, I think he's a guy that has that view of himself, that he is the greatest, he's the best, and um, and I could see a situation where, you know, maybe especially early on, there's some tensions with the team and, um, you know, he doesn't want to fit in the system and they're asking him to do, the, you know, just to be a role player. There was another another thing from that Will Barton documentary. Tim Conley talked about how when you first come into the league, he didn't know how Barton was going to handle a coach just telling him to go stand in the corner or not playing in games and stuff like that. And it's something that almost every player has to go through. And I think I, I think that's going to be a thing that for Michael Porter Jr. is really tough. You've always taken the most shots on the team. You've always scored the most points. The offense has always been around you. Well, what happens when you come in and it's, hey, no, you're actually the fifth option. We want you just in the corner this time. Don't move. Just space the floor from the corner. Um, how does he handle that? I could absolutely see him trying to come into, you know, getting tired of that after a, after a time and then trying to prove that, no, you should be playing through me. So, again, I don't think it's likely and I don't know the guy, but he would be my number one vote getter for guy most likely to do that. Hey Adam, this is Henry from Fort Collins. Um, I read an article today from Jonathan Sharks on The Ringer, um, and it basically just outlined uh, how Nikola Jokic can become, I guess, a successful player in the league. He kind of compared him to Dirk Nowitzki and the teams that Dirk played with, and then he kind of said that the best way to build a team around Jokic is kind of kind of to uh, get guys that are just hard-nosed defenders, scrappy. Uh, not exactly what we have right now. So I just want to see what you think about that. Nuggets. 
Henry, it's another great question. I did read the article on The Ringer by Jonathan Jarks. Uh, really like Jarks, a friend of mine. I consider him a friend of mine in the, in, in writing. Uh, hang out with him every time we go to Summer League. Tall, another surprisingly tall guy. He's like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, um, I thought it was a great article, and I think he has a very good point. Um, a couple things about that. Nikola Jokic has a lot of lessons to learn, I think, before he's ready to be Dirk Nowitzki. I think there's a lot of comparisons between the two, not just stylistically, but also background, personality, the unwillingness to embrace this idea that they're the number one player, all that stuff. There's a lot, and the article kind of goes into a lot of it. But I think that, you know, both for Dirk and for Yoke, you know, they're in a situation right now, for, I think, to build confidence and to create this identity for themselves, and I think it's important. Had you given Yoke right now, um, Gary Harris, Patrick Beverly, um, you know, just a defender, Andre Iguodala and, uh, Taj Gibson, you know, I think there's a lot he would do with that team. I think he could be very, very good, but giving him more scores and more offense and really like building up his confidence and him sort of finding his footing as, as this identity that he's cultivated, I think is very, very important. And years down the road I think Denver will probably have a blueprint for success that includes more just defensive minded players so I'm fine I think Jerks has a great point uh, but I think both things can be true I think right now is a good setup for Jokic's development and I think if Denver was ever to win a championship their offense would either be Golden State Warriors-esque and their defense like you know all of them would just improve a little bit so that they're all better or you would end up having that 2011 Mavericks team where you've got four defenders plus Jokic, and Jokic just becomes such a great player that he can make even bad offensive players into good ones. I mean, you can imagine a team with like, and I'm trying to think, DeJounte Murray, uh, Andre Robertson, uh, Gary Harris, and, you know, give me a good rim-protecting four um, you know, some, something like that and then and then create a good offense just because Yoke is so good. None of those guys being great offensive players, um, but Yoke makes them great. So I think there's some – I do think there's something to that. But there's, that's not the only path. One of the things I think people get stuck on in the NBA, and I'm not saying Jarks did this. Jarks threw out, I think, he, he argued his, uh, his point very, very well. One of the things people get stuck on is, oh, this is how you win because Team X has won this way. Every team wins differently in some way or in another. And I think for Denver, how if and when they ever win a championship or contend for it, it'll probably be a very, very unique team and a very unique circumstance. So um, I would both agree with him and say that Denver will ultimately, their best form, will have a, a handful of elite defenders, not just good, but elite defenders around Jokic. But I also think he's in position right now, and the team they've built around him is very, very good for his development. Adam, this is Derek from Thundertown here in Oklahoma City. Hey, I just heard that Hamadou Diallo down here has the nickname Homicide Homie. Okay? Pretty awesome. Now, can you go over the Nuggets nicknames? Like, we all love Will the Thrill and the Joker, but there's some more, right? On top of that, how great was it that you could use this Nuggets once upon a time where it didn't want to be called the Bosnian Bear, he wanted to be called the Bosnian Beast. Now, that, in a nutshell, that explains Yusuf Nuggets to me. Doesn't it? Okay. Nicknames for the Nuggets. Thanks. Bye. All right, Derek. Funny question. Good way to end the uh, segment. Um, so, I think the reason Nurk didn't want to be called Bosnian Bear was because in, in Bosnia, bear is like uh, a derogatory term for like an idiot. Um, so he, that's why he didn't want to be called it. So it, it was more like cultural than anything. I don't, I'm trying to think of what a good, um, 
be like be called a cow or something, you know, like he didn't want so. So to him, it sounded worse than I think what it was in, uh, in English. So I guess there's a little little credit there. But let's go through um, the nicknames. Uh, Jamal Murray, the Blue Arrow. Juan Hernan Gomez, Wancho. Tyler Lydon. You know, Dan Lewis is really trying to make uh, Tyler Lydon's nickname into uh, the owl because I like it because he has the giant owl on his arm. But his other nickname, Spicy Mayo, Man, that that nickname makes me laugh, man. First of all, it's a hilarious nickname, uh, <laughs> a really really good nickname. But it's also like, you know, a lot of nicknames are also insults, um, but they're like friendly insults. Spicy mayo is almost like too much. <laughs> Nobody wants to be spicy mayo. Uh, that one cracks me up. Trey Lyles went by Trey Mamba. I don't think that one that one did not stick. Uh, Paul Millsap, the anchor man. Again, nobody really calls him that. It's funny. Paul Millsap and, and Gary Harris are very, very s- similar, and it's funny that they both don't really have nicknames, Paul Millsap and Gary Harris. In fact, you don't even say Paul and Gary that much. You say Paul Millsap and you say Gary Harris. Malik Beasley, according to Basketball Reference, his nickname is The Mutant, um, which I did not know uh, until I just looked it up. Mason Plumley, Plum Dog Millionaire. I think that that's a, a pretty good – just Plum Dog actually is, is a pretty good nickname – I mentioned Gary Harris, his um, other nickname, G and G Money. Again, they just don't fit to me. Um, so I don't know. Michael Porter Jr., MPJ. Um, Nikola Jokic, Big Honey, The Joker. Um, what else do we have for him? Gotich. Uh, it's funny, man. One of my favorite – so my favorite book of all time is The Brothers Karamazov, a Dostoevsky book. And one of the sort of like thematic uh, like motifs in it was that every – the lovable players all had multiple nick or players characters all had multiple nicknames and some of the characters who were less like liked part of the way you one of the ways that he d- d- chose to express that was by them not having nicknames so like Yvonne one of the main characters has zero nicknames everybody only ever calls him Yvonne and one of the more um likable characters uh had had a several like 20 different nicknames that different people would call him and i find it funny because it's actually if you think about it the, the likable guys will barton willie b buckets thrill the people's champ um you know he's got a bunch of them nicole Jokic, same thing so i think it's kind of i find that kind of interesting jared vanderbilt let's look him isaiah thomas it i don't know if he has another one vanderbilt not listed um he doesn't have one jay vando i guess uh, Thomas Welsh, I don't know, and Monte Morris. Let me pull them up since I have them right here on Basketball Reference, see if there's anything. I don't know. What should we come up with Welsh? I, mean, I feel like Thomas Welsh can have a, uh, one. Monte Morris, so another one. So Monte Morris, a likable guy. He, he was liked by not just every single teammate, but by everybody around the league. We talked at Summer League about how all these players from around the league would come to watch Monte play, and it's just like, man, this guy who's barely in the league at that point it has this many fans, but he's a likable guy. So you go to basketball reference, man, man, big game and Tay. He's got three nicknames. And actually I've heard, I've heard him called all three of those nicknames. So I know they're legit. Um, it's kind of fascinating and it's appropriate that Jokic, Barton and Monte all have multiple nicknames. That'll do it for this show, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, we do have another episode coming up tomorrow. I'm going to have the King, the King himself, the King of Thornton on, uh, to talk some nuggets and get his thoughts. He's, we haven't heard from him for a while, so I want to hear what's going on with him. Uh, he'll be on tomorrow as we preview the game against the Suns. Can't wait for it. We'll see everybody then. Thank you for listening to the Locked on Nuggets podcast. 
Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com.